If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7. And we're just looking at one verse there, and then we're going to look at the same verse quoted in Matthew, chapter 1. Here we have a messianic prophecy, prophecy of the Messiah, among the 300 or more prophecies that went before the coming of Jesus Christ, his first arrival. In verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now come with me over to the New Testament, the very first book, the first chapter. Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at verses 21, 22, and verse 23. As the angel appears now to Joseph, who has already appeared to Mary, and spoke about this impossible event a woman to become pregnant, a virgin to become pregnant without having any sexual contact with any man. In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. We've covered that here, and I've covered that on my daily Bible study a week or so back. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord, notice that, of the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The word fulfilled is the operative word that the scriptures plainly state all throughout the scriptures. This was not man speaking, though man delivered the message for God. As some of you know, I once was a letter carrier for the post office. And as you know, it's common sense that the letter carrier simply delivers the mail. He or she doesn't write it. They just deliver what's written. And whether it's good news, bad news, or just as we call it, junk mail, no matter what it is, the mailman didn't write it. The prophets, in one manner of speaking, didn't write the Bible. God did. God gave them his words, and they wrote them down. God gave his words, and they spoke. And that's what we have here, that it might be fulfilled, because God said, this is how it's going to go. And let me jump ahead right now to say this. We have, I say a lot, there's big events coming, but there's a small portion that's yet to be fulfilled. And that's what I want to bring to you in this message. The title is The Greatest of All Time. And I want to say now, again, the best is yet to come. Amen. No matter how bleak it looks, no matter how ungodly and corrupt not only the government is, but the church as well, the best is yet to come. And let me speak to this real quickly. Of all the signs that there are that we can look at that precedes the second arrival of Jesus when he comes to judge the living and the dead. One of them is the great falling away from the faith. Doesn't mean churches would be shut down, though some are. In fact, many are. It just means that people will be gathering around the Bible where it's misquoted, taken out of context, and preachers play to the crowd, tell them what they want to hear, or maybe in their minds what they think they really need to hear. But I am convinced that what a preacher is supposed to do is preach the word of God, just like the mailman. It was never junk mail. But whether it's good or it's bad, whatever it is, the truth, Jesus said, would set us free. And so for us, we have a lot to look forward to, and the best is yet to come. So lift up your heads, as Jesus said. Your redemption is getting very close. Your redemption is getting very close. There's many of you here that are old enough to remember. So used by some considered to be the greatest heavyweight champion ever, Muhammad Ali. Myself, I don't necessarily hold that opinion, but many people do. And Muhammad Ali was not just a great athlete, he was a very smart individual. He copied his persona in the ring after Gorgeous George the wrestler and accented that so that he would inspire the whole crowd, some to want to see him win and some to want to see him lose. He was very good at that. He drew the crowd because some of them wanted to see him get beat and some of them wanted to see him win. Uh, and so Muhammad Ali would go on, on, especially early on, and say, I am the greatest. And I think he partly believed that, or maybe he fully believed it. I don't know. But I know that most of that was just to attract people. People who say, yeah, you are. We want to see you win and beat all these people. Most of whom he did, but not all. And it would attract all the people who wanted to see him lose. He was very, very smart. 
Made a lot of money. He once stated, he said, I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> he was very smart. He was a very smart man. Now, whether he was actually the greatest or not, that's a matter of opinion for people who know the sport. I don't hold the opinion. Anyway, when we come down to this idea of who is the greatest person that ever lived, what is the greatest event that ever happened, or the greatest period of time, and on and on, there's a lot of opinions, and they just boil down basically to that, opinions. Some say, for example, what's the greatest event in world history? Well, it depends on who you ask and what their reasons are, but some would say the Great War, World War I. And right on cue, you know, we have a disturbance. Must be a good sign, because it happens to me all the time. Anyway, some say it was the Great War, which for me, I'm not certain that why it's called the Great War, because 16 million people died in World War I, and 60 million people died in World War II. If there's a World War III that precedes Armageddon, I don't know, we can expect even more casualties. You can go through a long list, and you may have your own opinion. What was the greatest event in world history? The creation of the internet. I mean, what would the world be right now? I'd probably be a lot better without it. The technology that we have, though, I'm convinced that God has given these things to us to propagate the gospel. That's my sincere conviction. All what's evil about it, that people shy away from, that's their business. Me, I see as an opportunity to get the gospel out to the whole world. The invention of the internet, the advent or the closing of World War I, of World War II, there's so many things that we can say that was the greatest event of all history. But when we look at our Bibles, we see there were so many things about Jesus, whom we call the Christ, that are unparalleled and unequaled, and there is no comparison to what he said, to what he did, to who he is. And for us, once again, to hold out this hope, what is yet to come. The best is yet to come. With that in mind, let me talk about what is the greatest day. I want to go through a few themes of what is the greatest day, event, person. What's the greatest day in world history? Well, as I said, I've read on some, and their opinion is it was the end of World War I. I like General Ferdinand Foch who said that my center cannot hold and my right is retreating. So the situation is perfect. I'm going to attack. Which, by the way, was the same attitude of Chesty Puller and of George Patton. He said, I want to hear about you holding the ground. You're not going to hold the ground. Let them hold the ground. We're going to take the ground. Great leaders have that aspect. They don't sit back and just let, quote, fate happen. You shouldn't sit back and let fate happen. Well, you know, it's just this way. You never give in. You never give up. You always go forward. And if your center is crumbling today and your right is about to retreat, it's a perfect situation to go on the offense and go forward. You know, here in our country, I think it would be arguably um, put that uh, July the 4th, 1776 was the greatest day in our history, at least. Maybe not in world history, but maybe so. When 56 men put their names on a document to a situation that when we look back, it really wasn't probable that they were going to beat the British Empire. It wasn't probable. But they pledged their lives, their honor, and their fortunes to do what is sometimes called the American experiment to see if it would work. They knew they would die if they survived the battle of the Revolutionary War. They knew the punishment would be very extreme. But they gave everything that they had here in America. Today we're used to making donations. We just make a donation to the church. We need, I believe, to come to a point that we were 100% committed all the way. I believe that's what it's going to take for us to see God touch America and have mercy on us. But in any case, we're used to making donations. We feel good about that. I'm not saying necessarily that it's wrong. I'm just saying that we're just used to giving some. Here's a pig and a chicken going past a church that said they were going to have a ham and egg breakfast. The chicken says to the pig, come on, let's go and do our part. And the pig said to the chicken, he says, yeah, for you, that's a donation. For me, that's a commitment. <laughs> we need more people who are committed, not just making donations, not just making a contribution. We need people who are totally committed, full in, full in. And at this stage of my life, when I could be full out and rest on my laurels and tell people, young people especially, all that I did, all that I accomplished in various aspects and ways and overcoming odds and impossibilities and all that, I'm not satisfied. And I want you to ask yourself today, are you really satisfied with your life? 
Because it's not all about you. It's about the people around you. It's about this little church. It's about all the churches that truly are serving God. It's about our country. It's about the future of our children and our grandchildren. You've got to be all in. And you're going to pay a price. So get that straight. Now you can write to me. Put little teardrop emojis if you want. And say, oh, I'm going through a rough time. And I get it. And I understand. I've been through many, many rough times. And life isn't easy now. But I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm all in. I am all in. And I find that every day that goes past, I find there's something else that I need to put on the table, my life, my honor, my fortune, whatever it is, to see the glory of God. And so we can talk about what's the greatest event. Was it really the ending of World War I, the Treaty of Versailles, and giving German government back its power, and all of this on November the 11th, 1918? Was it the end of World War II, where we had seen for the very first time in history the atomic bomb unleashed on the country at Hiroshima and Nagasaki? What is the greatest event of all time? And again, sitting down and thinking about it, some would argue that it was the Battle of Thermopylae, where 300 Greek Spartans hold off the entire Persian army for a time. Meanwhile, there was a battle in the sea as the Greeks were able to take ground while the Spartans held off this massive army. And King Leonidas of Greece, of Sparta rather, um, they chopped his head off. They all died, every single one of them. Yet we still talk about them. We don't talk about people who just were sort of committed. We read books about people who were all in, all the way, nothing held back. That's who we read about, and that's who we admire. And if you want to tell me that you've read a book about someone who was sort of committed, I'd like to read that book. I would like to read a book about someone who had a lame, lukewarm life, and they were satisfied with it. I really would, because it would be a comedic relief from this stress that we're under now. I was sort of successful. Nobody buys books like that. Nobody. I read a guy, I won't mention his name, I don't care for him, how he went from $3,000 a week to $30 billion or whatever he did and talks about himself. He wants to know who he should interview. I'd suggest he interviews himself. He's the person he loves the most. I'm not interested in making $3,000 a week. I'm not interested in making money. That's all people are going to fight over after I'm dead. And the government's going to take how much of it. I'm interested in being all in for that which I know that matters. Jesus. Jesus. And I will submit to you that the greatest event that has ever happened to man was the one we just read. Matthew 1.18, if you're still there. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, was this way, when as his mother Mary was engaged to do Joseph, espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost or of the Holy Spirit. I will submit to you that that's the greatest event, the greatest day in history. You say, well, what about the crucifixion? We will get to that. What about the resurrection? We will get to that too. But this was the arrival of the great God. What day it was, doesn't matter. Some people spend, in my mind, needless months and years researching the date. It doesn't matter to me, unless there's something they can say, this is why it matters. And so we celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. This verse here. God became flesh. God dwelt amongst us. God, not a philosopher. You've read the New Testament? You don't say to Jesus, I'm sort of with you. He doesn't accept that. Read it again. I'm sort of making a contribution. Jesus demanded 100% from anyone who followed him then and now. I'm sort of a Christian. I think you're sort of not. Flips both ways. You know, like a coin, there's two sides of it. I'm sort of a Christian. I think you're sort of not. Because I know what Jesus said about surrendering your life, denying yourself, carrying the cross. That's a Christian. And I will say to you that this is the greatest day in human history, the day that God became a man. And if you believe that, you'll be able to paddle your way through this mess that we're in right now. And it's going to get worse. We'll be able to navigate our way through because we have the great almighty God guiding us, touching us, healing us, encouraging us, filling us. But you have to be all in. And only you could answer that question today. I could give you my opinion if you asked me, but you better want to know the truth. I always tell people, well, I assume all of you, well, maybe not all of you, who really, really like me. They like me because I tell the truth. I don't try to be rude. I don't go around saying, hey, you're, you know, this or that. I don't do that. But if you ask me an honest question, I give you an honest answer. And then there's some who really, really don't like me because I told them the truth. But that's what preachers do. They say what the book says. 
You can't be sort of a Christian. You are or you are not. You are in or you are not. When you, those of you who served in the military, you signed down that line. And my uncle was a USMC in Korea. And, uh, you know, all the promises the recruiters made, he begged my grandmother to sign the papers because he was just a year under age. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she wouldn't. But finally she gave in. And he was so happy until the moment he stepped off that bus. And he told me, he said, that moment I stepped off the bus, he said, what did I do? Well, guess what you can't do? You can't get back on the bus and go out. You're in. You signed on for Jesus Christ. Did anybody explain to you what you were signing on for? It's not all moonlight and roses and being casual with God. You signed on to deny yourself. The greatest day in human history, without question for the Christian, is the day that God became a man. Of course, not everybody believes that, but that's the truth. That's what the book says. God became a man. So we talk about what's the greatest life, and I looked this up. I did a brief little study last night, and on more than one occasion, I found the list. Well, probably had to be the same list, but the greatest lives that ever lived, according to some, was this. Number one was Muhammad. Number two was Isaac Newton. And then number three was Jesus. I said, that's interesting. I could understand the opinion of number one coming from some people's point of view, but Isaac Newton? I mean, he's a great man, don't get me wrong. He was a great man, but number two? I don't think so. The greatest life that ever lived was the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And I remember some years ago going out for a jog. That's something I don't do anymore. I remember exactly where I was. Not only the place, but the point on the track where I was, out for a long run, then I would do a few laps around one of the school's tracks. I remember exactly where I was when I was thinking to myself, who is the perfect man? Now, I was already born again. And I found all of these reasons why Jesus is the perfect man. Perfect. You know, Jesus didn't make his reputation, how do I say it, acting in a machismo way. He made his reputation being meek and lowly. Something that a lot of men, especially Americans, or not just Americans, a lot of countries, they can't identify with that. You never see Jesus backing up. You never see Jesus backing down. And he goes to the cross, and he's scourged, and he doesn't even complain. That's a man. That's a man. They hunted him. They hounded him. They questioned him. But he was always himself. And then when we read this in the Gospel according to John chapter 7, When the priests gave an order to arrest Jesus, go out and get him. It says this in verse 44 of John chapter 7. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? For a soldier to go out and arrest a citizen, not a big deal. Badges and guns and everything else they have. Dogs and handcuffs. Why have you not brought him? Listen to their answer. The officer answered, never man spake like this. Just what he was saying was enough to say, we're not arresting this guy. In John chapter 21, it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. We don't even know all that Jesus did. We're reading a small part. When you read through the gospel account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't even know all that he did. John said, if we were to write everything down, the books would fill up the globe. It's hyperbole, but you get the point. They couldn't even arrest Jesus. Uh, When he gave his very first message, they wanted to kill him and throw him off the cliff. And he walked right through them. Walked right through them. That doesn't sound like a coward to me. The greatest life that was ever lived was the life of Jesus Christ. And someone wrote this, and I think it to be accurate, They said that Jesus Christ, he is without comparison. Regardless of your personal beliefs, Jesus Christ has objectively influenced humanity in thought, devotion, and deed in terms of quality and quantity more than any mortal being history has and will ever know. His extensive influence was not owing to the things he wrote, built, invented, conquered, discovered, developed, or dreamed. Like we have the great people of the world, and this is what we see. What they invented, what they conquered, what they discovered, what they developed. Not with Jesus. His influence was particularly the result of who he is and what he did on behalf of guilty and morally corrupt people. Is the only substitute the world has ever known. 
I remember when I was in prison ministry, seven years, and I preached to the inmates. Now, in population, you have, or just like on the streets, you have to act tough. You have to put up a veneer. You have to pretend that things don't bother you. You have to pretend that you're not afraid when sometimes you really are. But when we had those meetings and I would start preaching, I would tell the inmates my story and how I could relate to them and so on. And I said, now, you understand that in population, you have to act tough exterior has got to be there and how bad you are, maybe even who you killed and all that. I said, but you know, and I know, when you go to your cell at night, you cry. You go hear a pin drop. You know why? Because it was the truth. There are many of us that walk around as if nothing bothers us, but when we're all alone, the tears begin to flow. And the heart is broke. Huh. But Jesus, when you mention his name, and that's why I brought up these prison ministry, we had great meetings back in those days. See, that's why I could be telling people right now, being retired, all the great things I did. I'm not satisfied with that. They were great meetings back in the day. I want to see greater ones in the future. Amen. I'm not ready to quit and give up yet. And the reason that things touched them, you talk about, you know, people convicted of crimes committed, but melt at the name of Jesus. I've been at the bedside of people dying, people whose language is always vulgar or whatever they were. And I've told you this before. When you're on your deathbed, many people, not all, many people, they don't want the lawyer. They're not calling 911. They don't want all these people. They want the preacher. Amen. And they want the preacher that knows Jesus. I've literally led people to the Lord while they were dying on their deathbed. I pulled one guy right up off the bed. I said, you ready to accept Jesus now? Uh, yeah, he was dying of cancer. I pulled him up off the bed. I said, repeat after me. I wasn't shaking him, but repeat after me. Receive Christ as Savior, put him back down on the bed, and he was dead just a few hours later. You talk about getting in by the skin of your teeth. But that's what the influence of the name, Jesus. Jesus. There is no other name that has the influence of Jesus. No wonder they couldn't arrest him. They couldn't arrest him just by the way he spoke. Let me just say one more thing, and I'm going to move on to the next point. I've met a lot of tough guys in my life, real tough guys. But on the basis of it takes one to know one, don't faze me much. I'll tell them about Jesus, and not always, but many times. Half my church in the Bronx were tough. It's tough when you're traveling to 50, 100 people, real tough. But I've seen these guys die in motorcycle accidents and a lot of other things. And when we were preaching Jesus, well, we're still preaching Jesus. When we were preaching Jesus back then, they were flushing their drugs down the toilet. Yeah, that's true. They were flushing their drugs down the toilet, getting off the needle, doing all these different things, getting straight with God because of the name of Jesus and the influence behind that name, Jesus. For me, Christianity has its labels. Who are you? A Methodist. Wow. I'm a Pentecostal. Oh, joy. But when you talk about Jesus, Jesus, there's power in that name. In heaven and earth, there's power in that name. The greatest day, the day he was born, the greatest life is Jesus. There's no comparison. What about the greatest event? We look at our Bibles in John chapter 19, verse 28, 29, and 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that means fulfilled, that the scripture might be fulfilled, there it is, said, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. We just sang a song that I reminded you, if you don't know the verses, go look them up. You could not approach the presence of God in the Kodesh, Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies. Couldn't go in the holy place either. Then there was the outer court where the priests went. There were rules and heavy penalties for going against God's order. As I mentioned to you, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, went out one night. And it's presumed they were drunk. That is where they're part, you're part in. Yeah, I'm sort of a Christian and they're drunk. That would be the conclusion you draw from reading the chapter in Numbers. And so they're going to, let's go offer something to the Lord. And God said, no deal. And they were gone. And then Moses tells Aaron, don't mourn openly for your sons. The idea being, in my view, that you're going to disgrace God, make God look like he did something wrong. 
God never does anything wrong, ever, not once, ever. Never. Absolutely never. It was his decision. Sort of committed, sort of priests, sort of the son of Aaron. Let's go offer this sort of sacrifice. And God said, I'll give you 100% dissatisfaction. That brings us to Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus said, Many will say that day, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we do wonderful works in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And then I will say unto them, I never knew you. To me, it's still one of the most frightening texts for sort of Christians. Sort of. Hey, listen, do you think the devil, do you think the devil when he looks in the realm of the spirit where he could see, he doesn't see everything, God sees everything, but do you think that when he sees someone who's sort of a Christian, it makes him shake? Like, wow, this guy's sort of a Christian. Seven sons of Sceva. They were sort of going to try out the name of Jesus. And they tried one demon-possessed man, seven brothers, seven of them, seven to one, not a fair fight. (laughs) And they said, we adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, you know, all that. And the Spirit said to him, Jesus, we know. But here's the thing. And Paul, we know. Who are you? And you know what? This is one of the reasons why, though you say, I pray and I don't get answers. Better think through your life. Because God cannot lie. God does not lie. God cannot lie and he does not lie. So don't be sort of a Christian. Be a Christian or I tell you the truth. If it were me, if I were to commit adultery, if I were to be with another woman other than my wife, I have two things working against me. One, God has promised to kill me. But... What may be equally bad is that my wife has promised to kill me. So either way, it's a lose-lose proposition. One of them is going to get to me, and I won't be able to hide. If I go overseas, she can't get me, but he will get me. But I would not stand before you trying a pretense, you know, one of these posing things. Look at me. I can't do that. I'd have to acknowledge my sin openly, leave this pulpit, and just, I don't know, find myself somewhere and begging for the mercy of God. And you know what? Every one of you do the same thing. Don't pose. Be in or be out. I mean, I would rather deny Christ 100%. There's a chance. I mean, really go like the prodigal son and really give myself to sin. 100% over to sin. Because there's a chance that I might see or you might see or people might see. This isn't working out so well. And I'm very grateful, by the way, of a testimony that my life was on such a fast track at such a young age that I began to see this is not going to end up good. I think a problem for some people is that they're on a slow path, a slow slide away from Christ. And they don't realize that the end is going to be a real train wreck. Be all in because he's the greatest. He is the greatest. Jesus, the greatest. Something that I think is interesting to note, there was a writer by the name of Marganita Lasky. She was a secular humanist. And when she died, she said, one thing I envy about you Christians is that you have forgiveness, but I have nobody to forgive me. But she did, but she kept refusing it for her life, all her life. I think about that moment when I'm taking my last breath, and I know I'm taking my last breath. I want to be able to die at ease and in peace with a conscience that's clear, not a life that was perfect, a conscience that's clear that I can say my life is finished. I have fought a good fight. Oh, and on that point, let me say this. If when you signed up to follow Jesus, no one told you it was going to be a fight, they did you a disservice. This is a fight. This is a fight. A fight that we say, oh, Jesus won it. Yes, he did. But now he says, now you get in there. And he puts his foot in your back, and you're in a situation where you don't want to be. You're face to face with Satan himself, and you know how it goes after that. But we're going to win this fight if we're all in. Go back to Muhammad Ali for a second. I remember reading about him years ago. He was asked how many sit-ups he did. He said, I I don't know. He said, I never start counting until it hurts. I don't know how many he did. Who knows? He also went on to say he hated to train. But he would say to himself, don't quit. Suffer now and be a champion forever. Well, there's a bit of an application for you and for me. Suffer now and be a champion forever. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Oh, you say people around me, they got Bibles and they're not committed. Forget about them. It's you that we're talking about. I direct all my comments to myself long before I come to this pulpit. I want to make sure that my conscience is clear. And I want to make sure I preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Be all in. 
Because Jesus is worth your time and he's worth the effort. Some of you have probably seen the movie. It was a good movie. It is a good movie. The Bridge on the River Kwai. Good movie. And there's various aspects of how you look at the movie. But for those of you who don't know much about it, here's these prisoners. They're starved. They're basically walking skeletons mistreated by the captain of the camp there. And at one point in the real story, the true story, a shovel was missing. And so one of the Japanese guards was so irate that he had the others take out their guns and would shoot them all down, all the prisoners, shoot them, because someone stole a shovel. So finally one soldier, I think it was Scottish, stepped forward and said, I stole it. And the Japanese guard took a shovel and just beat him to death with the shovel. When they went back to the second checkpoint, not the first or the last checkpoint, they went back to the one before that, there was no shovel missing, it was just a mistake, it was right there. One man was willing to sacrifice his life to spare all of his brothers. Jesus said there's no greater love than a man will lay down his life for his friends. Now here's the hard one. That's the amen one. Here's the hard one. And he says, and so we should lay down our lives for the brethren. That's where we hit the brake, tap the brakes, stop the car, get out and say, I don't know about that one. Well, if you want to get out your knife and cut that verse out of the Bible, have at it. I'm not. You say, in what way have you laid down your life for the brethren? 45 years of constant service. I've never even been unemployed. I don't plan to be. Preaching the gospel, prayer, counseling, studying, looking up Hebrew, looking up Greek, answering texts, answering emails. It's many, many nights, most nights. I'm up late. I'm still on my little computer, smartphone. Why? So I could brag before you. No, no one really knows exactly how much I do. Because I want a reward in heaven, but I'm just trying to encourage you that I am all in. I am all in. And you should be all in. Because Jesus Christ is worthy. He laid down his life who knew no sin. For all of us who did, and now we're free. And what do we give him in return? Half of our attention? You can think about this, you know, uh, I say especially guys, it's women now that do it. They watch football all day long. I'll probably watch football today myself when I go home. I'm not lying to you. But I'm not staying home from church with some lame excuse because of whatever. Whatever. I've come to church with a fever. I've come to church and when I feel like I can't breathe, I figure if I'm going to die, this is a good place to die. Very dramatic. It's an attention getter. You'll never forget that message. (laughs) It's a memory aid. That's me. I'm all in. I'm all in. I don't care what people think. I don't care what they say. I don't say, oh, I don't care. I don't care. And here's the thing. I don't care if I gain friends or lose friends. I will not turn my loyalty against Jesus. I will not give in. And my friends, you better not either. Because this coming is close. Really close. Stand up and be counted. And don't be a coward. What is the greatest promise that's ever been made? Some would say, well, when MacArthur left the Philippines, went to Australia, and he says, I have left, I shall return. And then he came back and he did return. And he made a promise to the Philippine people about their government and all that he was going to do. Very, very noble. Very noble. I once received a phone call many years ago from a young man who wanted to tell me that his father had passed away. And I gave him my condolences. I never met the young guy. And he said, my dad listened to you constantly on the radio. He loved your messages. I said, well, that's good. Thank you. I appreciate that. He said, did you know my dad was a Medal of Honor winner? I said, no, I didn't know that. I said, oh, yeah. He was decorated with the Medal of Honor. Most times when you get the Medal of Honor, it's posthumously. You've died in battle. But many get it also. And he was one. And I remember jotting his name down. It escapes me now. And I remember looking up his story on the Medal of Honor page and I'll tell you what, it just it gives you chills. He got blinded in one eye. He was on an aircraft. And he's manning the machine gun, shooting planes down with one hand, helping his wounded comrades with the other hand. And there was all these details. And I tell you the truth, I mean it. I felt complimented and blessed that this man liked my preaching. This man won the Medal of Honor. How many people do you know have won the Medal of Honor? Nobody, right? Nobody? No. Because it's not given out very casually. And if I think if I was complimented by someone who won the Medal of Honor, which I was years ago, 
How much more my heavenly father, if he would say to me, this is also my son, my daughter. And I'm well pleased. I'm repeating myself with this phrase because they're all in. There's nothing held back. Nothing in reserve. You may not feel this way, but I do the math and I think about my life and I say, it's time to just put the pedal right down to the metal. I don't care what it costs. I never really did, but even less now. Even less now. Now, I did something that you may want to try, and I did it just the other day. I was sitting in my office, and you know, most of us have clocks that tick, meaning you can hear the tick, tick, tick. So when you're all alone, the tick is pretty loud. And I sat there, and I was staring at the clock that was going tick, tick, tick. And a thought came into my mind. Every time that ticks, say the word gone. And I did, out loud. Gone, gone, gone. I did it for just a little bit. I began to meditate. Every second is all gone. While I was staring at the clock for 15 seconds, saying out loud to myself, gone, gone, gone. I thought of a minute. I thought of 60 in an hour and 24 in a day and seven days in a week and 30 or 31 in a month and a year. All gone. All gone. And at that moment, just this week, I said to myself, putting the pedal to the metal. We're losing seconds. We're losing years because we're not fully committed by the second to be all in. Everything. All in. I'm just exhorting you today. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Use your gifts and talents for the glory of God. Don't make excuses. What you can't do. And I've had a rough life. That's still my favorite after all these years. I've had a rough life. I'm empathetic. I'm sympathetic. But if you play that record every single day with me, there's going to be a time. Oh, time out. I didn't have any white privilege. I didn't have it. You may not believe that because of what you hear in the press, but I haven't had white privilege. I didn't have people handing me things. You know, you had to fight for every inch of ground. And at this stage of life, I thought it would be easier than it is. And it's not. So be it. Keep going forward. I said, well, I'm old. (laughs) I'm not that young myself, but I'm not holding the ground. I'm going forward. One way or the other, I'm going forward. The littlest things, whether it's the guitar or the drums in my personal workouts, I'm pushing myself a little bit further all the time. And you, I believe, should do the same thing. The greatest promise wasn't, I don't believe, MacArthur, or the Treaty of Versailles, the signing of the Treaty of Versailles, the end of World War I, or the end of World War II. They were great events. But the greatest is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And this is future. And the best is yet to come. Jesus is dead. Jesus is risen. Jesus is appearing for 40 days, explaining the things of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And now the apostles are looking at him, they're talking to him, and up he goes. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them. They were angels in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. There's a part of me that doesn't want to die before the arrival of Jesus Christ, because I want to be there with the same gape. When we see, uh, you know, presumably his feet first coming with the clouds and the power of the holy angels and the saints, when they go marching in, there's a part of me that just wants to be alive to see this. And that's yet to come. The best is yet to come. I often feel like spitting when I read what politicians say in our country. I'd rather have a box of rocks than some of their brains. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Let's just let that go. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my anchor. Jesus is the one holding me together. And when he comes, and it's yet to come, the best is yet to come. Because this hasn't been so easy a ride, right? This hasn't been so easy. You have problems in the house, problems in the street, problems in the government, problems everywhere. But that's going to be a problem for some people, but not for you and not for me. When he comes... The best is yet to come. Hold your head up. Unless you're sort of a Christian, then you don't have no clue at all what I'm talking about. Say that's insulting. It's still true. True. Again, you were in the military. Did you expect your drill instructor to say, how do you feel about that? Do you want to do any more (laughs) push-ups? Do them. Just do it. Do it. This is Jesus we're talking about. 
is coming on the clouds with great power and authority. He's going to set everything straight. The nations will become his kingdom. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so I want to finish with this. The greatest day, Jesus' birth. The greatest event, his death. I didn't include the resurrection, but we'll just say his life, the greatest life, I covered that as well. But what about the greatest song? Now, for those of us who are acclimated to music, and basically everybody is, I have some favorite songs, songs that bring back great memories. Music, I believe, affects the brain more than drugs or sex or anything else, because when you hear a song, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you can smell the smells, the sounds are there, the people are there. It has a tremendous effect on the brain. Watch what you listen to. Sometimes when I'm in public, and I hear, and I hear all this vulgarity about what they're doing to their mother and all this stuff. Forgive me. You're not going to be hearing that in heaven. Amen. See, the greatest song we see in the future, the greatest song of your life and my life is yet to be sung. See, today we're playing music, you know, and all of a sudden we go dark. I'm playing totally blind on the drums, not knowing how loud I was, so I try to tone it down, and Randy can't find a guitar that works. Just you have all this, what do you do, you know, it's live performance. We pray, sing a cappella, hum. We could do something to give glory to God. We're not at a loss. But I'm going to submit to you that the greatest song that has ever been sung is yet to be sung. Read it with me. Revelation chapter 15, beginning at verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark. Notice, gotten the victory. They didn't go along and says, God understands. I mean, he understands my heart. They wouldn't take it. I'm going to give you a little bit of advice here. Don't you apply that to the vaccine or any vaccine. That is not what it's speaking about. These people who take the mark know that it involves worship of the Antichrist and so on. Just wanted to say that to you. That's all. They got victory over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are their ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Will those be the exact lyrics? I don't know. I just know that's the greatest song of all, and it's yet to be sung. I don't know what key it's in. I don't know that the harps are actually made of gold or simply symbolic, because in my mind, playing a stringed instrument made totally of gold would be heavy and cumbersome. It doesn't matter. In my mind, it's going to be all these voices, billions of them, singing glory to God. And it's yet to be sung. This past week, I was listening to, I listened to a lot of different types of music to get an appreciation in my brain. And I was listening to black choirs. Some of them can really sing. Not that white choirs can't sing, but... And, boy, I tell you, I got out of bed. I was listening to one. It's the name of the song, It's Only a Test. The bass player, he was playing 16th notes all the way through. <clears throat> the lady singing the song, It's Only a Test. <clears throat> I mean, how could you not be happy? In any case, the best song that we've never heard yet is yet to be sung. The greatest of all... Jesus led the greatest life. Jesus had the greatest day. And will include the cross, the resurrection, and the greatest event of all time is yet to come. The return of Jesus Christ. And the greatest song of all is the song of the redeemed, which we've yet to sing together. Think of all the churches that have existed, that still exist, have closed, people are gone, but they're in heaven. And it's my understanding, in my view, that this song has not yet been sung. When the last person is born again, and all the events we read about in the New Testament and the book of the Revelation, and when that song starts, what a day that's going to be. I'll call it the first day of eternity. Life's never going to end. There's no cemeteries, no graves, no funerals, no sickness, no hospitals, no doctors, and no doctor bills. <laughs> Heaven doesn't have Medicare, doesn't have Social Security, doesn't have any of those things, because God, who is 
All things is there. And when the saints come marching in, I want to be in that number. I want to be in that number. On the headstone of arguably probably the most notable singer of the 20th century, Frank Sinatra. Up until two years ago, Frank Sinatra's headstone read this way. The best is yet to come. It was one of the songs he made popular. Now, I can't speak to this subject, where Frank Sinatra is. I don't know. I just know that that's what he had on his headstone when he died in May of 1988 at the age of 82 years old. But I'd like to read the lyrics to you just briefly and I'll quit. Now, this is a love song, but it has application. Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything's starting to hum. Still, it's a real good bet. The best is yet to come. Best is yet to come, and babe, won't that be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine, Dan. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? Best is yet to come. Come the day you're mine. Come the day you're mine. I'm going to teach you to fly. We've only tasted the wine. We're going to drain the cup dry. Wait till your charm is ripe for these arms to surround you. You think you've flown before, but baby, you ain't left the ground. <laughs> when Jesus comes, we will leave the ground. Amen. Wait till you're locked in my embrace. Wait till I draw you near. Wait till you see that sunshine place. Ain't nothing like it here. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine. Come the day you're mine, and you're going to be mine. And I saw in this song so many applications that are not going to go through for us with Christ. When the groom comes for the bride, come up here. And the cry goes up at midnight. Whether it's precisely midnight or not, doesn't matter. At this stage of life, I can tell you that 9 p.m. is midnight. <laughs> you know what I mean. And it's getting earlier, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock. It's midnight. I'm all done. I don't want to talk or nothing. Here, here's a question for you now. I'll finish. You don't need really to tell me. Don't bother. You don't have to. Are you all in? And you have to, see, you have to have that quality to be honest with yourself. You've got to look yourself in the mirror. And I've told people this. I said, if you want to know where most of your problems come from, look in the mirror. Well, I had a rough life. Man, that turns my stomach. All right. Yeah. Okay. So what are you going to do about it now? Things didn't go my way. Things didn't go my way either. Look where God put me. I thought I had the biggest church in the world. I thought I'd be in some, you know, with a black choir and Korean people praying and Sicilians bringing food. Setting up. Yeah, that's the way I thought it. And where God sent me to Patmos. So don't gripe. Take your situation and improvise. Adapt. Overcome. Because our Jesus expects us to overcome. He expects us to overcome. And be all in. All in. The greatest of all time, Jesus the Christ. And he deserves out of every single one of us, for you and me, to be all in. The pedal to the metal. Don't trim your sails anymore. Let it rip. I want you to answer the question for yourself, not for Pastor Ray. You're not going to see me at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is who you're going to see. And I want you to just pretend there's a mirror in front of you and just say to yourself, wow, I found my problem. Found my problem. It's me. All the time, it's me. And with that in mind, you have to have, and I'm asking you to be honest with yourself, to entertain the question. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying you're sort of committed? Is that me? I've preached many, 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 many times, thousands of times. And every once in a while, someone will say to me, boy, you were preaching like I was the only person in the room. That's when you know the Holy Spirit is touching your heart and saying, it's you. Just like Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the one I'm talking to. And that's how we deal with Jesus, one-on-one. So are you all in or sort of? You live a life of fear? Come on. Nobody knows the depths of fear probably in this room like I have. I overcame it. How did I do it? A lot of prayer, a lot of grace, and a lot of hard work. But I'm not conceding to it. You know the stories of what's happened with my family. You think that's what I wanted? No. But do you think I'm going to give in because of it? Absolutely not. Absolutely, positively not. How about you? Are you all in? I'm going to pray that you are. And if you're not, that you will be. Father... Help us to be all in 
unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, just touch your church all over the world. Touch them. And let them be able to examine themselves as we read in the epistle of 2 Corinthians. And let us all be all in at this hour of history for our country needs us and our churches need us. Help us, God. Right now, God, I just believe that you're touching people. And not all those that are in this room either. Those watching by television, those listening by radio. Because we need mercy in this country, God. We've goofed it up. We're bad. Daniel confessed not only his own sins, but the sins of the fathers. As he prayed before you. We do the same. We've violated you, God, over and over again. Now, we want to be able to say like Isaiah said when he saw you high and lifted up in chapter 6. And who shall go before us and whom shall we send? Hear my Lord. He didn't wait for the crowd. He didn't wait for three of his buddies to say, well, I'll go with you. Here am I. Send me. God help us to have the courage, even if we have to go alone, to never turn back. And to not stand still, bragging about the past. Help us to go forward in this great, momentous hour of history in which we live. Amen. God, have mercy on America, on the countries that are watching, because I know there's great difficulties in these countries. Pour out your spirit as you said you would, God. We come to you, and we're all in. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Look at, listen, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's your intellect. You're smart. You say you're smart. Use your smartness, your high IQ for the word of God first. And all your energy, everything you have. And then love one another. Father, we bless you and praise you today for the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Help us to keep our minds on that so we can navigate our way through this mess. The best is yet to come. Encourage all of my brothers and sisters here today. Encourage those who watch by way of the live stream and listen by way of radio. Just remind us to keep the two greatest commandments and everything will be just fine. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor today in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen with me this morning? Amen.